You're listening to Dave Asprey on Bulletproof Radio. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's episode is recorded live in Miami with my friend Jason Silva, who was a really popular guest on episode 285. He's best known for hosting the Emmy-nominated global hit series Brain Games on National Geo, which was broadcast in over 171 countries. And you probably saw him hosting the global miniseries Origins, The Journey of Humankind, most recently. And it's just awesome work he's doing. And I've asked him to come here for a couple of reasons. One, we're both in Miami, which doesn't happen that often. So it was a chance to actually connect in person. And also, he's doing uh, an event coming up here, a live event and I promised him that we'd talk about that. And in exchange, he's got to give you guys a discount code. So just up front, you know that. But I want to follow up on something we talked about in the last podcast. So because we promised to do this, Jason, what's the URL people should know about? JasonSilvaLive.com? Yes. Thank you, Dave. Great to see you. Um, for sure. Go to JasonSilvaLive.com to get all the info on my upcoming tour. We're going to be in Miami on the 29th of March. Uh, sorry, Miami, Los Angeles, April 20, March, 29th of March. Uh, Miami, April 3rd, and New York, April 6th. And <laughs> it'll be correct on the website. But uh, jasonsilvalive.com, and then the, the discount code is jasonlive, and you'll get 15% off. All right. So now you've got that. We'll put yes. that in the show notes and all for you. But that's a just a nice gift for Bulletproof Radio listeners, and thanks, Jason, for that. But you're going to hear now why you want to go to these events and just why I wanted him back on the show. Last time, in 2016, he said something I'm fiercely optimistic and I'm philosophically pro to the idea that humanity is an engineering project. It's one we need to put all of our labor and creative efforts into where the canvas, where the work of art and rage against the dying of the light. And of course, he's quoting Dylan Thomas because yes. he quotes every person on earth. <laughs> all right. First question. Yes. Do you have all these quotes stored in your head? I, I, I do. I mean, I take a lot of notes on like the notes application on my iPhone. I tend to transcribe and write things down that inspire me, if, particularly if a quote is well written. I feel like I have to transcribe it. So I take notes and I write down musings, but it's not like I, it's not like I study those notes and those quotes in order to be able to recite them verbatim. It just so happens that when I'm in the zone, I, I tend to be an, uh, an associational thinker. So I mm -hmm. start talking about an idea and it creates like a butterfly effect in thought where like these different lines start to emerge and are like served up to my frontal lobe, which actually reminds me a lot of that film Limitless. Yes. Remember when he first takes the drug and he talks about how like he just, you just start to connect the dots quicker and the right thing is just served up in the right moment, the right yes. reference, the right connection. When I'm in the zone, that tends to happen to me. Um, and the rest of my life becomes the labor of cultivating rest, diet, and all these other things so that when I'm in the zone, I have all the resources that I need. I, I know that state. I do that when I'm on stage. There you go. In front of a crowd, I always have. And it's like, I just know what to say, even if my slide's all jacked up. It's just, it's right there. A thousand percent. But I don't usually quote people because I don't remember the quotes, right? Are you paraphrasing <laughs> or do you actually nail these quotes? Because like, I, I think I you have nail, the most amazing. I nail, I nail a lot of them. So, um. Here's one that I love from a guy called Sheldon Solomon. He was talking about the ideas of Ernest Becker and the denial of death. He said, the explicit awareness that you're a breathing piece of defecating meat destined to die and ultimately no more significant than a lizard or a potato is not especially uplifting. <laughs> so it's like, I remember that line. It was in the trailer to the documentary Flight from Death. And I just remember because it's just like, it's one sentence, yep. but it's like beautifully phrased and... I don't know, something like that just sticks with me. You know, another 
And if people who listen to my work a lot will see that I recycle these quotes and I oh, yeah. re, and I remix them and rematch them. So if you really follow my stuff, you see that I end up saying a lot of the same things. But I've actually noticed that a lot of other intellectuals that I follow are similar. The more of their work I consume, the more I start to see where they repeat themselves. And so we all kind of have the song we sing and we kind of sing it in different ways, you know? It's one of the things I, I got to see Joan Jett in the Blackhearts mm -hmm. uh, at South by Southwest last week. And like there's 50 people in the room. It was uh, for uh, game uh, ready, ready player one for like the launch party oh, for that. Yeah. It was great. totally cool. But same thing, like it's the same songs, but they're always different each time. Yeah. And if you don't tell the same story repeatedly in different ways, if you only say it once, how many people heard it? And so if you have something important to say, I think the people with the most important thing to say learn how to say it really well. Yes. But like just hats off. I mean, I watch what you do. You're walking down the beach and you're you're philosophizing and it's really an unusual skill. So I don't actually watch a lot of YouTube, but I yeah. see your channel. I'm like, wow, I like the direction you're thinking like philosophically we're in yeah. agreement, but like your delivery is awesome. So I want to know, like, are, were you hacking that? Do you have like a guy holding a screen in front of you? And the answer is no. No, no. Actually, right. <laughs> but, but the hack does leverage inducing a flow state. So it's, it's figuring out yeah. how to get outside my own way. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's like you trust the 10,000 hours in terms of like all the reading, all the thinking I've been doing, all the notes that I've been taking. And that's all happening subconsciously all the time. I just, I just do that by default. But then the, when the moment comes that I'm in the beach and I'm with my camera guy, the only real preparation that took place is to make sure that I rested well the night before and that I have the camera guy around. The actual delivery, I, that's the magic that I have to trust. If I take care of all the other variables and all the other triggers, then once I'm in a flow state, it's it's going to be meaty. You'll just bring it. Yeah. And it's also a lot more authentic that way. And and I, if I script too much, like I'm giving a talk at the Rob yeah. Report here tomorrow uh, for like these like, you know, global elite people and, and like how to hack yourself. And like, do you want to rehearse? I'm like, God, no, I'd, I would say the wrong thing. Sure. <laughs> like, like I don't rehearse because I know. Well, yeah. you're, 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 you're hitting the nail on the head right there. It's, it's, I, I'm an introvert, you know, so I get up in front of stages as well. A lot. I do a lot of corporate talks. That's kind of been my, my bread and butter when I'm not doing brain games and not doing videos is that I get booked by Microsoft, Cisco, Oracle, all these companies come talk to us about the future. Cause I've made a lot of content about like yeah. AI and singularity and all this stuff. And I don't have slides. And all I do is I'll bring like four or five of my short videos to show. But really, those videos are like a story arc. Because if I know that I'm going to show these four clips, then I know that no matter what I'm talking about on stage, I eventually have to land in a place where I can cue one of these videos. So these videos <laughs> will give me an orientation and a direction. But ultimately, what I have to remind myself before I get on stage is why am I here? What do I care about? Why is this significant to me? And that gives me the psychological permission slip that kind of frames the encounter in a way that I feel, okay, I'm here to tell the truth. I'm here to talk about why this is significant to me. And it's like, well, what do I believe? Well, if you remind yourself and you ask yourself, what do you believe? And you actually have something that you believe in and you can talk about it. Well, then it's, it's just, it's amazing how reverting to honesty and authenticity, like just clears the way for, for, for flow. It's breaking every rule of professional speakers. And mm -hmm. I've studied how to speak for 20 years because I was frankly nervous as all hell. The first time I ever spoke on stage in front of a yeah. crowd, I don't even know what I said. Right. And most I people, remember that feeling. Yeah, you do too. Okay. And most people go through that. And so I've trained with like some of the world's best speaker trainers just to learn how to really bring it to an audience. Mm -hmm. And I find the more I do it, the less I want to follow their advice. So I'm like, I got this. Yeah. And it, it always seems like it comes out better, the less preparation. Yeah. So, and you've reached the same level uh, and it may be because you have a mission, you have a reason for being there and it's not because you got to check. Yeah, very much so. I mean, for the corporate talks, it, it's very simple. You know, I, have made a lot of content about disruption and disruption yeah. has become a, a kind of religion, particularly in Silicon Valley. It's oh, like yeah. disrupt yourself or someone else will disrupt you. And so there's really like kind of three themes that I have to kind of remember to tell these people. One is my primary, my primary love is creativity and imagination. And this has turned into a love for tech. The reason I'm a techno optimist is because I believe that technology at its best is just the embodiment of creativity and imagination. So that's the leap right there. If you're into creativity and you're into imagination, how could you not be into technology, which is the literalization of human creativity in the world? Like here it is. Here's the human mind turned inside out in the form of this computer, in the form of this iPhone. You know, I remember once the etymology of the word psychedelic means to manifest mind. Well, what is the manifestation of the mind more literally than an iPhone, for example? Yes. That's, the, that's the manifestation of your mind. So our tools and technologies are 
psychedelic, so to speak. They expand the boundaries of the mind. They literalize the mind, you know. And so that connection already gets me really excited. So if technology is the extension or the embodiment of imagination in the world, and then we use technology to overcome our own limitations, we're essentially reverse engineering our own minds to create tools that transcend the limitations of our minds. And once I've made that connection, I'm off to the races. Because then it's like, not only do we make these tools, which are extensions of our imagination, but these tools are advancing at an exponential rate. So then I can start paraphrasing Ray Kurzweil and talk about the law of accelerating returns and the the supercomputer that went from half a building to the device in your pocket, you know, and the device in your pocket being a million times cheaper, a million times smaller, and a thousand times more powerful. And all of a sudden, you have an audience that maybe wasn't even thinking exponentially. They have a real-world example of exponential change because it's like, wow, the supercomputer that was half a building now fits in your pocket. Holy shit. And guess what? In the next 25 years, it'll be the size of a blood cell. Oh, you mean using that same extrapolation, those same exponential numbers? That's where we're heading? Oh, yeah. So as soon as I've said that to them, I've also said it to myself. Because as soon as you make a statement like that, you're like, don't you realize how this changes the game for humanity? If all digital technologies are subject to the same exponential growth curves, then what becomes possible is unbounded in any way. It's beyond our intuition because our intuition is still linear. So once I've established this and I have a video to show for it, then it becomes a motivational talk because now it's like, oh, guess what? Disruption is nothing to be afraid of, but it's actually the greatest opportunity we've ever had to use these tools to impact humanity in a positive way. Now, I love this stuff. That's how I get started. I got to ask you, and, and you're listening to that. You can tell he just went to a flow state right there, like his <laughs> eyes changed and like it was pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, there's a, a thing though, if you use technology to offload the drudgery from your mind, sure. which is what a lot of this is about. And in fact, all of technology, even going back to like fire and blankets and mm-hmm. like baking powder, mm-hmm. we're all technologies to do less crap, dishwashers, all sure. of this. Sure. Uh, so it's a long arc we've been on. It's just accelerating mm-hmm. rapidly. But what do you do when you've offloaded all that stuff? What's left in there and mm-hmm. what are we going to do with that? That certainly raises like the, the the question that concerns a lot of people is that as these technologies take over more and more of the things that we used to do for a living or like replacing yeah. jobs, it raises the concern, you know, what happens when we create a sort of economically useless class, you know, Yaval, Yaval Harari who wrote yeah. Sapiens and, and uh, Homo Deus wrote in The Guardian recently about how to find meaning in an age where there is no work or in a post-work age. But by, by the way, he's one of my favorite authors. Me too. And my, my book came out on the New York Times Science List sandwiched between his two books. Wow. And that was like the Congratulations, coolest thing. Congratulations, dude. <laughs> it was the coolest thing that ever happened. I'm like, it didn't just hit the list. I was like, thank God. Yeah. But like between his Killer. two books, to Homo Deus, everyone listening, you got to read that book. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant. But, but his whole thing that blew my mind, because it was speaking directly to that question. Because you're right. Some of these tools we use to augment our innate capacities. I mean, this this microphone is not going to replace my my job as a speaker, but it's right. going to amplify my voice. Correct. That's fine. But there are going to be other tools that will replace certain jobs completely. They won't just be amplifications of human capacity. They'll replace human capacity. And so then it raises the philosophical question, what are we going to do with ourselves? Because if people don't have a purpose, if people don't have a noble aim, they get depressed. They get anxious. I mean, the existential reality of our condition uh, becomes a real burden when you can't distract yourself with some kind of job that gives you or fulfills you uh, with meaning. Right. So what, what Yaval Harari said is that, well, we're probably going to spend most of our time in virtual realities. You know, that's the truth. You know, you Ready Player it? One. Well, here's the thing. He also said that we've already been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that human character is a virtual reality. We're, we live in this abstract, symbolic world where we give ourselves names and identities and we wear fabric to cover our genitals and we wear brand names. And, you know, whatever religion or nationality you are is also a virtual reality. And the virtual reality, once you invest yourself in it, becomes real. Like it bleeds into the real. And so he says we already do that, again, with reality with religion, with identity. So what's the difference between that and then eventually like having VR systems where you can beam your nervous system directly into this VR world where you can be a hero? Like, again, I think it's 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 totally valid. Yes. Are you on smart drugs right now? No. Why not? (laughs) Well, it's funny. I am... I'm, I feel like I need to hang out with you and ask you every question I have about smart drugs (laughs) before I take them. I'm very like, like neurotic. Like I recently did a, um, a session of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy with MDMA. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, you know, my friends have 
experimented with MDMA for decades. And right. I wouldn't do it because I was like, well, I don't trust if it's adulterated. I don't know if it's pure. I don't know if it's that. And it took me months and months and months in research until I found somebody that I trusted who had a degree in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, who had 15 years as a registered nurse, who like had worked with people that worked with the PTSD. Right. And, and finally, it met my criteria for, okay, I feel safe. Let me I, try this I out. still haven't done it. Yeah. And uh, I've done other yeah. you know, altered states work yeah. with also licensed therapists yeah. who yeah. really know what they're doing yeah. instead of some going to Disneyland like, right. like a dumbass. <laughs> right. So I think I think when it comes to smart drugs, I just I want to have sort of an acute understananding exactly of what it's doing um, before I sort of over. Right. over so so this so this is all you, just the way you are now. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's not all it's not all great all the time, you know. Maybe you could talk to me about sleep, uh, hacking anxiety and sleep. So I sometimes have had issues with sleep because I have a very active mind. But usually, it's I, I get into these cycles of anxiety where, and again, maybe this is just the other side of the superpower of being able to get on stage without a script. But I'll be in bed and I'll be like, okay, I'm tired and I got to get up early tomorrow, so I should get some sleep. Let's go to sleep. Oh, I haven't fallen asleep yet. Oh, damn. I'm not, I'm not asleep yet. Now I'm anxious that I'm not asleep yet. And now the anxiety is making me less likely to fall asleep. Oh, do you get anx- anxious about not sleeping? Yes. That's actually really common. All right, we got to totally talk about that. Great. Yeah, this that always goes back. And you already know, Les, there's always childhood trauma, right? You know, if someone's pissed at you when you're 18 months old, because you just go the F to sleep, like the name of that book. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, well, it can get stuck in there. And you're like, oh my God, if I don't go to sleep, I'm not a good person. And it creates anxiety. And yeah. then cortisol goes up and adrenaline goes up. Thousand. And then all of a sudden you can't go to sleep. It, it's There's also fear of hunger. where like it's I get that in bed. if Because I use food. I definitely use dinner yeah. to get my body ready for bed. I'll sometimes mm-hmm. I'll eat maybe even more than what is necessary so that I can be full and start to doze off. You know oh, I mean? Wow. And when I don't, if I have a lighter dinner and then two hours later when I'm in bed, if I've like already digested and I'm not full at all, I'll sometimes be like, oh man, now I'm getting hungry again. All right. Uh, so fun. If, if you want, I'll take more than the show or something. Just <laughs> probably take a half hour. We'll have oh, a real wow. focused conversation. I'll yeah. tell you how to hack it. One thing to do, this is going to sound crazy, but you've oh. probably talked about EMDR in one of your videos. Yeah. So yeah, I did it. Do EMDR on this. Okay. It, it, it's completely transformative. There's some neurofeedback stuff that's possible too. Great. But I managed to, I turned off the voice in my head. Like I had this mean critical, yeah. Yeah. it would like try to go to sleep and there's all these, oh, what are people thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, did I do enough? And all this stuff. And I got real successful with that voice, but it was painful. And then I lost it all anyway. Uh, and then yeah. now when you get rid of the voice, you're like, okay, I can just be in that flow state more easily. Yeah. And sleep happens in under three minutes for me every really? single night without really? I, every single night unless See, i had alone i would sign up for in a second bro because like i i've i know that for me sleep is a way of uh, regulating my emotions right so i would say right. temperamentally i would say that i'm very open and very creative but also very prone to neuroticism and you know maybe it's the jewish upbringing maybe it's the child of divorce maybe it's growing up in venezuela you know where crime and home invasions were always like a threat i mean there's definitely like some ptsd it's control vigilance yeah. issues for sure but for me, sleep is the great reset. You know, when I'm when I'm strung out, when I haven't rested well, everything is more difficult. And emotionally, I just I find everything more overwhelming. And so, one of my fears when I can't sleep is, oh my god, if I don't sleep all night today, and then what if tomorrow I'm so strung out from no sleep that I can't sleep tomorrow? Then I'll have a psychotic breakdown, and I start worrying all the way to the idea that I'm going to have a psychotic breakdown from lack of sleep. Like I'll go all the way to the extreme. Uh, there's something called. Uh is it sleep, sleep stress conditioning? I probably have the name wrong, but the, the Navy SEALs yeah. and all of basic training is around, can you perform at a functional high level on zero sleep? Yeah. And I kind of inadvertently did that. Um, it's what happens when you have kids. So I'm like, <laughs> sure. I'm starting Bulletproof. I'm working full time yeah. as a, as a tech executive. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to sleep no more than five hours a night. And it was part of an experiment to see, can I do this? And also I already have a kid, like a new baby. I'm not going to sleep more than five hours right, a night. Right. So I'm like, I'm just going to bring it. And then I stacked modafinil, like the limitless drug from the movie we talked about earlier. But I'd taken that for several, actually for almost eight years. And it was like, all right, I got this. And after a while, it was like, I could run on two hours of sleep three nights in a row before I'd hit the wall. It wasn't good for my biology. It was right. bad for my biology. Yeah. It increased risk of all these things. Right. But like my anxiety about it was just gone. And I mean, I've got to come hang out in your compound for a few days. Better ways. That was maybe not the best way to do it. But um, there's there's a few weeks. Just do EMDR. Just go in there and be like, I don't know exactly when, but like, I got a thing about sleep. Yeah. And I swear you'll see it like shrink down in your mind and it'll just kind of shoot away. 
and what used to be a, a like a labeled trigger for you, mm-hmm. it's just gone. Yeah, sounds no willpower required. Bliss, bro. Uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna what hack your sleep. What are your thoughts on THC? Now that cannabis has gone full recreational legalization in California and sort of, you know, screenwriters can finally buy pot without getting arrested to work <laughs> on their scripts. <laughs> no, but it, it lowers blood flow in the brain, okay. which is a concern for me. I already have a little bit of low blood flow, just probably genetically or whatever the way I came into the world. And I work to increase oxygen in my brain, not decrease it. Mm-hmm. And we have hundreds and hundreds of different endocannabinoid receptors in our brains which means the right cbd oil thc combination for your neurochemistry different than yours it's not mine so the answer is it could be really good for you it could be not good for you and the specific blend strain and process of it also so you got to like find one that really works and if you're doing it all the time that blood that blood brain thing is kind of important so i'm like I'm not opposed to it. I think all this stuff should be legal yeah. so we can have a control and freedom. You know, it's, it's interesting. I had a conversation with Stephen Kotler from the Flow yeah, Genome Project. and they, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he has this joke and he's like, the quickest way to a flow state is 20 minutes of aerobics exercise, a, a shot of espresso and a joint. Right. And, and you know, I asked him, I actually asked him about it because I, I can definitely testify that, um, that I think like low to medium doses of cannabis under the right conditions increases lateral thinking and increases oh, yeah. pattern recognition because you get a flood of dopamine which gets you basically reading more information from the environment and of course your framework of interpretation matters because more information from the environment can mean more anxiety or more bliss correct you know so for that reason in the right environments i think cannabis is remarkable for associational thinking for improvisation whether it's jazz or like a rapper that's freestyling versus a rapper reciting memorized lyrics like freestyle because of the lateral thinking increases, the way your associational net expands. And so I can verify that, that cannabis is exceptional for that. However, by that same token, anything, if, if your awareness is in any way hijacked by some kind of negative thought, if you're prone to right. emotion, then anxiety becomes a real problem with THC. So it's like, man, this is so good for creative associational thinking and for bliss in the right environments. But one wrong, one bad thought, and you could spiral into negative land which is very very unpleasant yeah you don't want to get stuck there right the other thing that that might be less of a problem there is a microdose of lsd we're talking five percent of the trip is down the thing i mean tried it if you do i have tried it yeah and and if i mean i go to burning man but that wasn't where i tried it because i tried it 200 miles offshore obviously yeah Uh, and and what you uh uh, what you do uh, with that is, and a lot of people have written about this, I've, I've talked about it for years, and there's really good research out there now that says you can use it as a cognitive enhancer. I don't use it regularly because I don't want any legal risk. Mm-hmm. Paracetam does essentially sure. the same thing. Sure. But something that works really well is that shot of espresso, some coffee, and if you want dopamine, you can actually use nicotine, but don't smoke because smoking is terrible for you. So oral nicotine raises dopamine. In fact, I'll try some right now. There, one milligram microdose. And I use this as a cognitive enhancer. It increases typing speed by 15%. So that dopamine hit the lateral thinking. And I believe that the vast majority of great works of of written work throughout history, at least the last long time, were on either tea or coffee and nicotine and occasionally but less likely alcohol or THC. And there's a reason for that. So spraying nicotine like that doesn't have any ill effects? Well, there's studies that show that nicotine protects your kidneys when it's oral, not smoked. And it increases something called PGC1-alpha, which is what happens when you exercise. So it's an exercise mimetic, a cognitive enhancer, and it increases the growth of new blood vessels, which you want in your brain. Now, if you have... So none of the smoking cancer crazy stuff has anything to do with the nicotine. That's just smoking that's toxic. Smoking is like 5,000 substances, and it's bad, and you should never smoke. Even chewing does bad things like that. There's one study in rats that said large doses of oral nicotine raised cancer, but they couldn't replicate it in humans. And the problem is that if you have a tumor that needs more blood vessels, growing blood vessels is a bad thing. If you have no tumors, growing new blood vessels, let's see, that's what your body does as you stay young. Like you want that in your brain. You want that in your heart. You want that in your organs. So I consider this a mitochondrial enhancing life extending substance that also makes me smarter. It makes me a better writer. I write my books with it. Stephen Kotler smokes cigarettes and it's like one of his worst vices, but now I get it. You know, he's a writer. But the problem is smoking, it comes at a huge cost because you got about four hours of vascular dysfunction from smoking. But French fries, you get 24 hours of that. So I don't eat French fries. Yes, I drink my Bulletproof coffee. Yes, I use... French fries, no French fries, huh? Anything fried, man. Fried food is so bad for your thinking. 
right? Not to mention What's, what, so, 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 so dietarily right now, in terms of like functioning well when you're awake, sleeping and digesting well, where are you at these days? Because, you know, people, some people, I have an uncle who's like macrobiotics, right? Oh, yeah. And like apparently that's like shrunk in his tumors. He's dealt with like some cancer stuff, you know, my, my aunt's husband. But then other people are like, you know, ketogenics. You know, I recently was listening to Jordan Peterson talking oh, about yeah. how he's like, you know, meat and greens, meat and greens, and it cured all it's, this stuff. It's actually a problem. I, I One of the early keto voices, yeah. but I was always like cyclical keto. So where I am now is, you know, the Bulletproof Diet, it's this roadmap, and it's basically in the morning, you have nothing or you have fat, and you want to be in fat-burning mode, fat suppresses appetite, you feel really good. At lunch, you want to have a plate covered in vegetables, and vegetables that work for your biology, not all of us can digest all vegetables, and it's fine. If you just don't like peas, just don't eat peas, that's good, right? And then you put a ton of fat, and here's the difference between keto and that a moderate amount of protein, not a large amount, small to moderate, because too much protein is inflammatory. Dinner is similar, but at dinner, I'm going to have sweet potatoes, white rice, or some starch, because if you don't feed the bacteria in your gut, it's not going to work. And sometimes I'll fast, and sometimes I'll go for several days so I'm in deep ketosis, but I'm pouring brain octane all the time. I'm always in ketosis a little bit because I'm adding ketones. And that means your brain gets fuel from fat and from glucose at the same time, which isn't biologically possible without technology. You're supposed to either be fasted, burning ketones, or eating and burning sugar. Like, I'll burn both. And when you do that, your brain runs clean. You're like, I can do things I couldn't do before. God, man. When can we all have our own personal Dave Asprey? <laughs> Let, let's hang out, man. I mean, that's... I. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just like what I would do. I, I want to be like president of a country so that I can like make you the official like health consultant for the nation. Dude, this is brilliant hearing this. I love I love the idea of hacking ourselves. I mean, because it goes right back to my existential concerns about mm-hmm. being human. You know, I remember reading a book by Alan Harrington called The Immortalist, which oh, by yeah, the way, should, oh, and this is another quote I would never forget. You know, he says, any philosophy that accepts death must itself be considered dead. It's questions meaningless. It's consolations worn out. Now, I don't know where you where you land on this idea of, obviously, you're into radical longevity. But my, my goal is 180 right now, at least. 180 180 yeah and and like it's been in men's fitness and all, all these things and people are like are you nuts i'm like are you kidding me i don't even think that's aggressive exactly that's 50 percent more than we can do now and i got a hundred years to play with exactly if, if tech doesn't get better in 100 years it's because like the world's a smoking rubble yes i completely agree and what's interesting is how people love to ennoble entropy aging and death and they're like oh it's a natural part of life and you should accept it and it's beautiful and i'm like man anything that takes away sentience is not beautiful you know i just like i want more life i want more creativity i want to create more beautiful things in the world like i want to play with my own aesthetics i want my cognitive apparatus to be this like dj board where i can manipulate and steward the contents of my consciousness you know like i i don't know i think death is beautiful and oh you do here's why Right. My goal is to die at a time and place and by a method of my own choosing. Sure. And and it's beautiful because there's freedom in that. And the freedom is maybe I decided I was done and freedom comes or beauty comes from freedom. Sure. Right. The ability to make a choice. And also maybe there's some cool stuff that happens after that. There's a lot of, in fact, there's more people on earth who believe that than don't a lot of old mystical traditions. Sure. sure. I've seen some crazy stuff during neurofeedback, during holotropic breathing uh, in various uh, therapeutic sure. things. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something cool to play with there. I don't know, but I'll find out later, a lot later. In the meantime, Living to 180 doesn't mean like being in a wheelchair for 90 years. It means looking like I do now for that amount of time, thinking like I'm actually better than I do now. That's that's what I want to. Right. (laughs) And and people don't, it's not in their picture of death. It's not in their picture of aging. And when your picture of aging is, I want to kick ass my whole life. I want to do everything I'm here to do. I want to serve the people around me. I want to be a part of my community. And just I want to love my life and love the people around me. Like, actually, I think I want to live to 182. Mm-hmm. But that's a different story. And it's not a, a verbal story. It's a visceral felt story. And that's what I'm working to break. And I think you are, too, and a lot of the anti-aging people. But like, no, death does not mean weakness than death. It just means, like, lights off. Yeah. Well, I think that we're definitely aligned. In fact, you know, to, to briefly mention the tour I'm doing, you know, I, I have these videos that I've been doing on the internet, the shots. Yeah, they're great. And, and separate from the Nat Geo shows and everything, these videos are me taking the fire in my belly, my existential angst and my existential concerns, my, Mm -hmm. and, and, and essentially raging against the darkness out loud. Um, people talk to me if I do, if I have a contemplative practice, if I meditate, I'm like, yes, 
I have a, a technique where, whereby my inward journey is expressed outwardly. Nice. And so when I make my videos, the reason that I have to go to some place where I won't be interrupted, whether it's the woods or nature or whatever, is because I am having a contemplative experience. I am having an inward journey, but I'm expressing it outwardly so that the camera can record it. But uh-huh. all of the, I mean, I'm appropriating the landscape, like the forest and the spaces that I'm at are informing the trip that is being had out loud for people. So and you're you're practicing a shamanic practice. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm <laughs> in a complete state of no mind. Yeah. That's why your videos are so watchable. I, I, I just look at them like, damn, how does he do that? But thank you for sharing that. That's, oh, that's I mean, awesome. I'm in a profoundly altered state when I do the video. And, and this, yeah. you're also that way when you're on stage, because I've seen you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I'm like, hey, if you're listening to this, you're going to be one of those cities. It's actually worth your time to go see Jason, because it's actually epic. And he just, he says the craziest and most profound stuff uh, that just isn't linear. But I don't know, I, I find it kind of mesmerizing. And so. Yeah, well, because it's associational, right? So it's like the trick is how wild and out there can I go in my associations, but still summon coherence, like still bring it back and land it, you know, yeah. <laughs> so that it doesn't feel like he just went off the deep end. But um, the difference between this particular tour, obviously, I do a lot of corporate events and yeah. I'm always traveling and speaking. And people are always like, can I come? Can I come? And I'm like, sorry, it's a closed event for right. Microsoft, you know. But in this case, I did a tour last year in Canada as well as in Australia that were both open to the public, right? And I was yeah. a little bit nervous because I, I don't know who's going to come. You know, I have a, a pretty big following online, but that's different than people buying tickets oh, to yeah. see you. And dude, I mean, in Vancouver and Toronto alone, we had a thousand people in each venue. That's astonishing a bunch of people bought tickets came to see me and so when you walk on stage with your people it's very different than a corporate event i don't so have good. to go right into like innovation and tech i can get up there and i'd be like hi everybody and everybody's like hey. <laughs> everybody, i'd be like a comedian right off the bat you know i'm like wow this must be what it's like to be a stand-up comic you know so all of a sudden i can share with them my neuroses and my fears and my anxiety right off the bat i'm like wow i didn't know any of you were going to show up and they're like hey. you know what I mean? and uh and then I'd be like, okay, so why am I here, guys? Well, I guess I'm here because the central preoccupation of my life is meaning and making sense of our situation and dealing with our mortality and existing at the interplay between the finite and the infinite and what the fuck do we do? And now we're off to the races. And the videos that I show are very different. And so for people, it feels like they're hanging out with the guy from the Shots of Awe. So rather than keeping it limited to tech and innovation, it's a much broader philosophical hang, you know? It's like a fireside chat where we're watching videos, talking about the videos, and we had such an extraordinary reaction. I mean, you know, Ben, he was, he was with me and my partner in the tours. I mean, we just couldn't believe what was happening. It was a thousand people there that were like, they were hanging on to every word like they were with me on that ride dude and yeah that's the closest thing to like tapping into the infinite that you've that i've ever experienced i mean in that moment i was like oh okay all contradictions are reconciled like this is it this is what i'm here to do you know and maybe i'm just like high off of my my own my own performance in that moment because of the feedback that i'm getting from the audience but again any musician or performer whoever feels that can testify that in that moment you're like oh okay this is what i'm here to do in the world you know like I feel connected to these people, you know? It's the, any of the meditation traditions, you get a group of people like monks meditating in Tibet. There's something about doing the same thing in the same place. Yeah. And it's way amplifying. I I feel the same thing, especially if it's your people, like people who get it. It, it changes things. And so you're like, you do that because you like how that feels and it lets you talk about stuff that corporations don't want you to talk about. Right. Right. Now, what's next for you? Like, do you believe in enlightenment? Are are you going to like, do some crazy meditation? Are, are you going to implant electrodes in your head? Like, like, where do you see yourself going? I, well, I, I'm really interested in this neurohacking space, and so it's like, it's like I've been lucky with my career, you know, to have done brain games and to have a successful TV show under my belt and my videos and the speak. I mean, thankfully, opportunities keep showing up, and I'm, I'm really into this idea of the unknown unknown. Oh, yeah. It's like I don't know that I want what I don't know about yet. <laughs> and so I like to organize my life in a way that synchronistic opportunities show up. That way I don't need the burden of deciding exactly what I want. I've got one for you. Okay. So, you know I run a $2.5 million neuroscience facility in Seattle with custom hardware and software for hacking your brain. Okay. I don't know if you even knew that. but <laughs> I knew you had a compound in Vancouver. No, this is in Seattle. 
Yeah, I, Seattle I live one out, is more thorough than your Vancouver. The place? Seattle one is neuroscience. It's all neuroscience. It looks like Xavier School for the Gifted, but it's a five day intense neurofeedback program, five different kinds of tech on your head, including stuff we developed specifically for going in and editing the response patterns and putting you in the state of someone who spent their life meditating. And I spent four months of my life doing that. But the whole neurohacking thing, it's absolutely real. It's just most of neuroscience is like, how do you fix a broken brain? And we're like, no, no, no. How do you upgrade a just completely epic brain? Yeah. And well, that's, that's it's real. That's what, that's what I want. And I have to go there, Dave. I mean, what I'm interested in now is fixing the flaws in my system. You know, the things that are not working. The occasional situation with like, like anxiety and sleep oh, yeah. is like a problem that I want to fix. Um, you know, I, I, I try to eat well, but I could probably, I need to optimize that. I want to optimize yeah. my diet radically in a way that still fix my mobile lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, certain things like that, I just think we're just, I just want to optimize the system so that I can serve my creativity in the next level. And I think that that will just attract opportunities of the next level. We found that when people have base levels of ketones, not a huge amount, but yeah. this is what you get from brain octane. Yeah. Yes, that's a plug. Sorry, I don't know how else to say this. <laughs> but people can do two and a half times more intense neurofeedback, which is similar to meditation, before they hit the wall. Like there's a point where you just, I can't concentrate anymore. I have no more energy. Yeah. We pushed out the amount of time you can do the work by two and a half times with ketones. Wow. So you're like, I want to perform well when I'm not hooked up to a machine Having those is, I think, one of the most important like neuro enhancers out yeah. there. Yeah. And you just, you get into this idea, all right, what are all the other things? And the deal is there's always more and you don't have to be perfect. And you only do the ones that have a high ROI for you. Mm. And the complexity in this whole world, all the stuff we're talking about, even spiritual growth and mm -hmm. progress and all that, mm -hmm. it's not the same for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like there are base rules, like stop doing the stuff that makes you weak, like like turn off the bad programming in your head. Everyone benefits from that. Sure. But my bad programming is different from your bad programming. Exactly. And you know, my biochemistry and neurochemistry is different. So THC may completely rock your world and may make me get hungry. Yes. Right? And like, we just don't know until you test it and measure it. Yeah. And that's something that's just changed my life. That's a hundred pounds that have come off. But I, I think we're getting to the point I where I can see your, the musculature in your forearms alone. Oh, bro. thanks man. <laughs> I should work out sometime. Well, no, it's funny. Cause I had, I had a friend in high school who was a rock climber and he got me into it. I used to do a lot of bouldering in high school nice. and you know, rock climbers have these very interesting physiques. They kind of look like surfers, except they have these Popeye forearms that are just like the yeah. most beautiful things, you know? And, and I remember my friend in high school, he was like a skinny dude, but like his forearms were like, John Claude Van Damme or something. And I always was like, man, I, wow, that just looks like, just looks immortal. You know, it just looks like solid. I had that on one side because I worked at Baskin Robbins and, mm. and I'd scoop ice cream all day long. And I had the most <laughs> ripped like right arm and elbow musculature. And my left hand was like a little twig and it was, it was not a good look for me. <laughs> Brilliant. That's funny. That's funny. But yeah, man, I think this tour will be very exciting. I've been doing some some recent content in Spanish as well, which is interesting because I grew up in Venezuela and uh, Brain Games had a lot of success in South America. So I have a big fan base in the oh, Spanish-speaking cool. world. And I've done a lot of keynotes in Mexico, in Colombia, and I, and I can do them in Spanglish, which is really cool to talk about exponential technologies, innovation, but also the human experience and kind of be able to like bring them in their own wow. language. And so it's like that's opened up a different world for me. And these events open to the public, not that I don't appreciate and love the the lifestyle of having the chance to do these corporate talks, you know, sure. as you know, I mean, it's, it's, but um, these events open to the public, they open up the possibility of freedom to create my own schedule yeah. so that I can just like kind of pick cities where I want to be in for a period of months and plan it around that, you know, and also this idea of like the relationship between flow states and your geographical surroundings. Right. That's huge for me. I remember reading this article called the psychological impact of boring buildings and oh, saying, yes. yeah, dude, it was all about how bad design whether it's colors, shapes, all the bad design creates anxiety, adds stress, spikes cortisol. But the inverse is also true. You know, like good design uplifts mood, good design boosts cognition. And so, and I became obsessed. I've always been a fan of European cities for this reason. Right. Like I love going to Amsterdam in the summer. One of my favorites, yeah. Me too, dude. And that's like that whole city when the weather's nice, it's like a flow state embodied in a cityscape <laughs> everybody's on bicycles like you're in disneyland dude and you just like you're never it's frictionless you know mm -hmm. you're just always flying through the urban landscape on your bicycle and it's just like this is so different than sitting in the 405 freeway in los angeles like this is reality i can't believe when i go there my the output of videos for me is 
multiplied by a factor of 10. Wow. Because I'm riding on my bike and we go to a cafe and have an espresso and smoke a joint and get back on our bikes. And then we're like, okay, I'm inspired. Stop here and film. Like nobody bothers you. You can film anywhere. The whole city becomes the backdrop. Wow. And, and so, you know, sometimes I'm like, I should move here. But, you know, the corporate talks are in Orlando and Vegas and all these other places. God, so Orlando. Like, <laughs> if I ever have to go to Orlando again, those hotels, the Disney is Swan and Dolphin. Ah, Anyone who's been on business travel has been to those hotels yeah. and everything is styrofoam. Yeah. There's nothing real in those buildings. Yeah. And it just makes me want to cry. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> So so anyway, if I if I could do more of these and not feel a sense of obligation to every corporate talk, you know, that would be for the artist in me, that would be very freeing, you know? Yeah, and I think it's also an act of service. I mean, you're going there and, and people are there. Part of the reason events are important like that is you get to meet people who care about the same stuff you care about. So it builds community every time. Yeah. Every time you give a talk, every time I give a talk, any, every time anyone with a following does that, Dude. people who are like, I thought I was the only one. You're like, there's thousands of people like oh. me and these are my people. I want to make friends. And like that well, changes and, the world. And that, it, it feels subjectively in that moment like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And ultimately that is the, probably the most delicious feeling on the planet. You know, it's like being back in the womb and your mom is saying everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Yeah. Oh my God, everything's fine. All these wonderful souls are lit up and they are all in this dance with me and we're going to be fine. Well, that's that, so nice. That's why you had a thousand people show up in Canada. Yeah. And it's hard to get a thousand people in Canada because there aren't that many Canadians. I, I mean, I live up there. It's just, there's only 30 million of us. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. That, it was I, crazy. I think you're going to find. And in Sydney and Melbourne too, yeah. man, we were this event called Think Inc. Again, it was also open to the public and you know, the meet and greets afterwards were just insane. I mean, it was just like, there's so much love. People people are thanking you. They're thanking you from like the bottom of their heart. You know, that, that feels so good because that's how I feel for people who inspire me. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very, I have this feeling of just like selfless thank you where it's like, I don't need anything from you besides what you've put into the world already. Right. I just, I'm just grateful that you exist for what you might put in the world next, you know? Yeah. And when people treat me that way, that's a crazy feat. It feels really good when someone says, you know, that, that talk just changed my life. Mm. And and when you know it, they're not saying because they think you want to hear it, just because they're saying it. And then right. you're like, okay, what did that do for that yeah. person? So now they're going to pass it on. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's creating much more rapid change in society, that whole exponential curve we're following. Yeah. The ability for new ideas to come out and then percolate and then become obvious, even though five years ago they were crazy. Mm. I've never seen anything like this, but it means yeah. the speed of disruption has oh, gone sure. through the roof sure. and awareness is part of disruption, right? If, if it's disruptive and no one knows, mm -hmm. it doesn't count. Yeah. And our ability to just know and then connect and meet other people, yeah. it it's brought all these topics like neurohacking, which would have been like science fiction even yeah. 10 years ago no one would talk about that with any credibility yeah. and it's like well actually i've got electrodes on my head at home i'm just not going to tell you about it yeah. right and all of a sudden just pop and all of a sudden there are billionaires investing in it yeah 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 no it's it's very exciting and you know you probably follow stephen pinker quite a bit oh yeah yeah i, I kind of love his his optimism and the new stuff that he's put out in his book about how the enlightenment is working and like it's still working and i think that in spite of the fact that sort of mainstream news outlets still kind of flood and overwhelm us with doom and gloom. I think there's radical progress happening. Yeah. I think, you know, you probably heard of like the whole intellectual dark web thing where it's like people like Sam Harris are reaching more listeners than mainstream news is, you know? And so it's like, cool that all these smart intellectual people, you know, are existing and emerging and adding to the conversation in the world. And uh, so I'm stoked. I, I remain optimistic. Are you at all concerned about like censorship? Like for me, the fact that we can talk to anyone on the internet right now is cool. I also helped to develop some of the systems that made the cloud happen. Mm -hmm. And so I know how easy it is to like turn on a filter. Like imagine if you're the person in charge of Siri. Yeah. Everyone dictates their text messages. Yeah. Now, if you were to take the word, uh, let's say the word God. Yeah. And you didn't like God. Like every time someone says God, instead it spells some other name just randomly puts Chad instead, right? All of a sudden, slowly it can make that yeah. evolve out well, of it. It just means over kabillions yeah. of yeah. transactions, all of a sudden you're like the incidence of this in our conversation goes down and down and down. And it's not like you turned it off because people get mad. You just change the stats. I'm really concerned. That's scary that we're doing that. Like Facebook and Twitter and all these, is that junk news? Is that not junk news or fake news or whatever? It's not about turning it off. It's about just changing the slope of the curve. Yeah. And definitely I, concerns you you're concerned as well. Cause I'm, I'm like, don't mess with our language. Don't mess with our ability to commute or to communicate. Anytime someone says you're not allowed to say that 
it's like, well, I guess that's why they have guns. I, I don't really know because you're supposed to be able to speak, by the way. I'm not in favor of, you know, people running around shooting each other at all. But that's why the framers of the Constitution said you have to be able to protect yourself. That's why free speech is mm-hmm. one of speech the is free speech. Well, that, right. I guess that's where it becomes interesting because I, I definitely consider myself a free thinker and a liberal. Yeah. But um, but then if you have an opinion that doesn't fit the liberal mainstream, you get typecast as a oh, this person is alt-right or something. Right. You know, like what's interesting with the politically correct stuff is that all of a sudden we can't have nuanced discussion because there are certain words that just trigger like, well, oh. That, that was why I said gun because there's a yeah. triggering word yeah. there. And it's like the idea is how do we protect that free speech? And I live in a country where you can't even have a gun. I have a crossbow. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's one of those things where, yeah. where we all naturally want to protect our belief system because our belief system is part of our identity. and Which we need in order to not kill ourselves over the dread of mortality. Exactly. Ernest Becker says, character is a vital lie. <laughs> you you named it. And, and so now what, what do we do? Yeah. Because there are tech companies who could do this and that'll slow down the speed of disruption dramatically. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't want it to happen, but when it happens, if it does, it'll be by slow dribbles over mm-hmm. years and in mm-hmm. that chipping away at our ability yeah. to share the kind of work that you do. Uh, it, it scares me. Here's a thought. You know, the 1960s shook the world with the psychedelic revolution and the counterculture revolution. And so much of what ended up happening in the world was tweaked minds by psychedelics that then went and did interesting things in, in the world. I think the renaissance that we're seeing now with using psychedelics to treat PTSD and treat end of life anxiety, but mm-hmm. eventually the idea that these tools could be used for to foster creativity could be a nice counterbalance against the idea that algorithms could start censoring speech like i think the more human minds are agitated or activated by compounds that awaken new forms of human thinking that will be just it'll be a counterbalancing force so it's like you know what i'm saying like you see like negative trends but then you see like positive trends and you feel like okay well maybe as long as there's more good than bad we'll be we'll be okay that is my hope as well it looks like the power of technology to overcome that stuff is pretty strong yeah and that's why we have hackers. Uh, in fact, it's one of the reasons I, I named it biohacking right. is that hackers job is to go in and look at the code and yeah. see where a company is trying to screw you and take it out. Yeah. Because if you don't know that there's the power and you don't have access to the code, sure. the people who do know that something works and have access to the code, they'll use it against oh, you. Sure. So it's our it's our God-given right, but it's also yeah. our moral responsibility yeah. to understand what works and to have yeah. the keys to that control ourselves yeah. instead of handing it over to any other person yeah. or party. Yeah. And, and when you do that, your ability to access all the flow states and do all the things you're talking about, it's most active. And, and so it's like there's a medical freedom thing involved here. Like it's my biology, my rights. And I wish, I wish we had that written down in the Constitution. I know. Agreed. Well, Jason, fun, man. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. You already answered the cool question about the three most important things you'd recommend for someone who wants to perform better as a human being. Yeah. But you forgot your answer. Oh, <laughs> so I got to ask you, your, I'm going to ask you this question one more time. Okay, ask again. All right. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to perform better as a human being at everything I do. Yeah. What are your three most important piece of advice? What would you say? Well, I would think it's very important that you have a solid sleep built into your schedule, nice. that you're getting rest and you're getting reset on a regular basis. I would urge you to expose yourselves to different cultures. For some reason, I feel really creative when I'm enveloped in another virtual reality. Like when I'm in Amsterdam, when I'm in Copenhagen, just seeing ordinary people go about their day in a different country is a, is like fascinating to me. And the other thing that I would do is, and this is going to sound silly, but uh, go on safari in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because I, re- I recently did it and I remember experiencing something similar to what Michael Pollan calls a sense of first sight unencumbered by knowingness. I, I never, I didn't know what it felt like to be in the bush encountering the big five in their natural habitat at five in the afternoon when the golden hour hits. And it was akin to a religious experience. And what was interesting is I felt I, I felt like I could meditate on what it must have been like for early humans to encounter this land and these animals in this moment, and then make a comparison between that grounding, that reality, 
and where we are now as a species. And it gave me a sense of pers- temporal perspective. Wow. And so, yeah, those are random things. Make sure you sleep a lot. Make sure you visit different cultures and go on safari in South Africa. That is reboot your system. Definitely a random set, but I love it. <laughs> and uh, thank you for, for offering that. Now, Final thing, jasonsilvalive.com, and there's a code I already forgot, just for Bulletproof Radio listeners. Yes, Jason Live is the code, and right. jasonsilvalive.com is where you can get tickets, and we're starting in uh, end of March, the tour, so. All right, so if you're new to Jason Silva's work, you haven't seen him, he's all over YouTube and all, just watch one of the videos, and just we're, we're friends, and I, I'm actually telling you the exact God's honest truth. I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos. I just don't have time. I also don't listen to a lot of podcasts because I don't have a lot of time even though I make one. Uh, but every time one of them pops up in my feed, I'm like, oh, that's one of Jason's videos. I'm actually going to watch it because it's worth the time. So that's a true compliment, Thank Jason. You. you you do good work and it's Thank very you. unusual. So You do amazing work, so it's an honor. Thanks, man. Receive that from me. Glad we got to hang out. Yes. Cheers. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.